Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. Genesis, we've been in this study for about 18 weeks now. We're taking our time, we're processing through chapter by chapter, um, trying to see what does the Bible have to say in this book that oftentimes is overlooked, in this book that is oftentimes just a couple of great stories are pulled out, but the rest of it we kind of throw off to the side. What does the Bible have to say, and how does that apply to our lives in 2018? We've seen a lot of things transpire thus far. We took several weeks to get past the very beginning of In the Beginning, let there be light. We took several weeks to get by there. We've watched sin into the world. We've seen what kind of impact it has made. We've watched the great flood, a guy by the name of Nimrod. We've looked at people that want to be like him. We've seen choices that we make and choices that God makes. Two Sunday nights ago, we took the time to discuss substitutionary solutions and why we are to wait upon him. And last Sunday night, we looked at what is in a name, and we saw Abram and Sarai make a transition from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. What a great study that was, and hopefully that impacted you and and encouraged you to move forward into who God has called you to be. But tonight, I want to move into chapters 18 and 19. I can't believe it. We're actually getting through two chapters in one week. Isn't it a miracle? He's the God of miracles. We're getting through two chapters tonight. I want to move into this area, and we find a city that was stricken with sin. In fact, if you remember back in chapter 13, that the people in the area around Sodom and Gomorrah were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. Now we see in chapter 18 that three men come to see Abraham. Who were these men? What is believed that one was God or Jesus in the flesh, and the other two were simply angels. Abraham prepares food for them, prepares a meal for them, and they share the fact that Sarah was going to become pregnant. Right now, I'm kind of giving you the Reader's Digest of what kind of happened. If you want all the nuts and bolts, make sure you go back and read chapters 18 and 19. But I want you to see this conversation going. They're sharing the fact that Sarah was going to become pregnant Then Abraham has a conversation with one of them regarding Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to take a look at verses 20 through 26 of chapter 18. It says, So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not... I want to know. The other men turned and headed toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sake? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why? You would, do, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? 
And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Abram almost whittles down the number. If we continue to read, he says, Well, what if you find 45? What if you find 40? If you just found 30 righteous, what if you found 20 righteous? If you just found 10, only 10 righteous people, will you spare the people? He whittles the number lower and lower. However, we see things quickly escalate in chapter 19. The angels go into the city, and the men of Sodom, remember, they were consumed with great wickedness. They thought much of sin. They embraced sin. So the men of Sodom go to Lot, requesting to see these two men, which we know were angels. Why did they want to see them? They were desiring to have sex with them. That's where we get the word sodomy. Again, it is stated in chapter 13 that the city was overrun with evil and wickedness. Now the angels were able to avoid this situation and ask Lot if he had any other relatives in the city. This is where I want to dig in a bit this evening. I want to look at how do we deal with the sin that we face in life. Anybody else have to deal with sin? Anybody else have to deal with temptation and, and, and struggles? Yeah, the Bible says we've got this war raging on the inside of us between what is right and what is wrong. There's always this battle going on. So how do we deal with that? Let me remind you of how Lot got to this place in his life. How did he get to this place of being right amongst all of the sin? I shared with you about a month ago that there came a point where the area where Abram and Lot had landed could not contain both of their people and their herds. So Abram gave Lot the choice of what land he wanted. Lot chose the entire Jordan Valley. There he found fertile plains, well-watered areas. The Bible says it was almost garden-like. Seemed like the perfect place. The problem was Sodom and Gomorrah. It was consumed with great wickedness. We see that Lot peers upon Sodom. In a few verses later, we see him approaching Sodom. Then we find him moving into the city, sin running rampant all around. But the land was fertile. That makes everything okay, right? I mean, it was almost garden-like. Surely he can overlook the sin, Surely he can overlook the wickedness. Surely he can put blinders on and keep moving forward because it's so beautiful around here. Everything he needs for his people and his herds. Surely that's okay. But how often do we find ourselves doing much the same? We, we peer upon the beauty. We say it contains everything that we need. We soon find ourselves standing right on the outside of town and we're more and more enticed and find ourselves taking residence right among the wickedness. That's where we find lots. 
Notice it didn't take long for Lot to move from simply gazing upon Sodom to living in the midst of the wickedness. The same is true in our lives. Don't even entertain sin, for as soon as you begin to entertain it, you will find yourself living among it. I've heard story after story of individuals that are hooked on a variety of of addictions. They almost start out as innocent acts. Didn't seem like a very big deal at the time. Gamblers who started by putting a quarter in the slot machine. A person messing around with innocent, quote-unquote, innocent drugs and soon find themselves consumed. You see, if you play with fire, you'll eventually get burned. If you play with sin, it will eventually destroy you. For the wages of sin is death. You begin to toy with sin. You begin to play with sin. It will eventually lead you down a destructive road to death. Let me urge you tonight, stay away from sin in your life. Maybe you're here tonight and you see yourself living way too close or even right in the midst of Sodom. I would say to you the same thing that the angels said to Lot and to his family. Run for your life. Listen carefully. Run for your life. In fact, I want to give you three warnings regarding sin. Warning number one. Get out while you can. Get out while you can. Chapter 19, verses 12 through 16. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot, do you have any other relatives here in the city, they ask. Get them out of this place. Look at that. He doesn't tell them, simply avert your eyes from sin. He doesn't say, go another direction when going home from work. But he says, get them out of this place. Remove yourself from the situation, your son-in-laws, your sons, your daughters, and anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord And he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought that he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angel became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right away, or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hands and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them safely outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. Do we see what transpired here? There are people in Lot's circle of influence because of what he had allowed to come into his family that did not take this cry, this plea, this urgency seriously. It's almost as if Lot was 
hesitant on himself. And he, he waited until the angels seized his hands and, and grabbed the hands of his wife and his two daughters and rushed them out of the city. See, when God tells you to run for your life, you had better move when you are told to. Let me say that again. When God tells you to run for your life, you better move when you're told to. The angels came to Lot and warned him of the impending disaster, the destruction that was about to take place. But Lot hesitated, so they grabbed him by the hand and led him safely out of the city. When the angels said move, he meant move now. He didn't mean move next week. He didn't mean move next month, but he meant move now. The city was going to be destroyed immediately. Lot hears the warning, but he hesitates. He hesitates and waits. The same is often true in our lives. We find ourselves in the place or even the relationships that are bound for destruction God says to us, move, but for one reason or another, we hesitate. God sees us in the midst of our Sodom. He sees us in the midst of our Gomorrah. He sees us in the midst of the sin in our lives. And he says, now is the time to move, but for one reason or another, we hesitate. We come up with reasons why we can't go now. What if you give me a little more time? We start weighing out the pros and the cons. We start to rationalize the situation in our minds. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been at this point in your life before that God has to grab you by the hand and drag you out of a difficult situation? I know what that's like. We shouldn't hesitate. You run when you're told to run. Maybe you're here tonight and you're messing around with something that you know is wrong. And you know that God has told you to move. But for some reason or another, you're hesitating. Do you remember the story of, of Joseph? He was in charge of Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. What did Joseph do when he was tempted? Do you remember? Well, Genesis 39 tells me this, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, and this is Joseph, he goes in the house to do his work, none of the men of the house was there in the house. She, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. When Joseph saw that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, what did he do? He got out. He ran for his life. He fled the situation. He removed himself from the problem in that moment. He didn't try to argue with Potiphar's wife. He didn't try to discuss the issue and try to rationalize what was going on. He simply ran for his life. James chapter 1 says this, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth 
to death. Again, the wages of sin is death. What we have earned because of our sinful lifestyle, what we have earned by entertaining and toying with and and holding on to and even embracing sin is death. It may start out very simple, It may start out very innocent, but it begins to grow and mature and grow and mature. And sooner than later, it gives birth to death itself. James says, evil thoughts lead us to evil actions. The key to overcoming temptation is to catch it early. It starts in the mind. See, the devil can get your attention. He can get you to do what he wants. You don't fight it, but you must run. You refocus your attention on something else. You shift your thoughts. You see, the more that you fight a feeling, the more that it controls you. But if you flee it, it weakens. There's an old saying that answers the question, what desire wins out in your life, good or evil? And the answer is simply this, whichever one you feed. Let me say that again. Which desire wins out in our lives? Is it good or evil? The answer is whichever one you feed. The word used here for entice carries with it the idea of fishing. It literally means to bait or to catch by a bait. That is what Satan is trying to do in your life and in my life each and every day. He knows what bait to use for you. He knows what to put on that hook. He knows what entices you. So he will do all that he can to draw you in, to trap you. And once he has that hook in your mouth, he quickly sets that hook and reels you in. That's his plan. But understand this tonight. The Bible does not tell us to resist temptation. Listen carefully to this. It doesn't say resist temptation. It tells us to resist the tempter. Hmm. Think about that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the what? The devil. Resist the devil. Go right to the source. Don't just flee the problem. Free the one that's giving you the problem. Don't just flee the temptation. Flee the tempter. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When Jesus was out in the desert and the devil came to tempt him, he tempted Jesus to use his miraculous powers for selfish reasons. He looked at Jesus and said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Jesus had been fasting. You can imagine he was quite hungry. Satan was appealing to his hunger, to his fleshly desires. And he says, why don't you take these stones and make yourself some bread? Jesus doesn't resist the temptation. He doesn't say, no thanks, I'm not really hungry right now. Because he was hungry. Instead, he refocuses on God. He refocuses on God's word and resists the tempter. The more that you fight something, the more that you focus on it and you begin to move closer and closer and closer to it. That's what happened to Lot and to his family. 
See, the more that you say to yourself, don't eat the chocolate chip cookie that your daughter made. The more that you're going to want that chocolate chip cookie that your daughter made. Don't eat the ice cream cones that your wife brought home yesterday. The more that you tell yourself, don't eat the ice cream cones, the more that you're going to want an ice cream cone. Yes? Running from temptation means that you have to run from some situation. Flee the situation. There are times that you have to get up and turn off the TV. There are times that you've got to walk away from that group that is full of gossip. There are times that you've got to leave the gathering that's serving alcohol. If you don't want to get stung, you have to move away from the bees. Get up and move physically out of the situation. That is what Lot was told to do. Get up, grab your family, and flee. But Lot, rather than flee in the the scene, began to hesitate. The angel of the Lord literally had to grab a hold of his hand and move him out. I challenge you tonight. Stop hesitating with God. Stop allowing sin to win. Stop running back to that old sinful desire. The Bible says, cling to God. Humble yourself before the Lord. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Warning number two, take God's lead, not your own direction. Anybody else ever guilty of trying to convince God that your way is the best way? Yeah. See, when God tells you to run for your life, you had better move where he's told you. When Lot's and the angels got outside of the city, they again told him to flee for his life and run to the mountains. But for one reason or another, Lot begins to negotiate with the angels. Maybe you've been there before. God gives you some instruction and suddenly you feel that you have a better solution than God. So you begin to tell him your grand idea. God, this is really the best mode. God, this is really the best pathway. Look at Genesis 19, 18 through 20. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you have shown me such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there. I would soon die. See, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. Do you remember what we learned two weeks ago? When Abram and Sarai chose to use Hagar to bring a substitute heir rather than wait on God... We discover that when we take matters into our own hands, the end result may be permissible, but it is never perfect. The end result may be okay, 
But it will never, ever, ever be perfect. And that's exactly where Lot found himself. He argues with the angel of the Lord. I really don't want to go to the mountains. You see, if I go to the mountains, this will happen to me and destruction will follow me. I really need to go to this little city over here, this city called Zoar. What Lot was really saying here was that he knew the way to safety better than God. Can I just tell you how foolish is that? See, God knows today. He knows tomorrow. He knows next year. He's not confined by time. He's got a plan for us. And the problem is we're confined with right now. I don't know what's going to happen in three seconds. Right? Yet here in this moment, Lot somehow has this brilliant idea. I know better than God. Lot was afraid of going into the mountains. Instead, he wanted to go to the nearby small town of Zoar. And here's what I find quite interesting. The word Zoar in Hebrew means insignificance or little place. Hold on to that. It means insignificance or little place. Lot, in essence, traded God's perfect plan for insignificance. Okay, see, I got excited in my office on that. Are you grabbing a hold of this? God rescues Abram, uh, uh, Lot, his daughters, and his wife. He says, now that we're outside of the city, I want you to flee to the mountains. This is the perfect plan for your life. This was what I have in store for you. I'm taking you to safety. And Lot goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'd rather settle for insignificance. Wow. How true that rings in our hearts and in our lives. The Bible says in John 10 that Jesus came to give us a full life, a satisfying life, not an insignificant life, not a little place of life. Yet oftentimes that is exactly what we do. We substitute God's best in our lives for something of much less significance. We see in this story that soon after Lot leaves Zoar and goes to the mountains where he was told to go in the first place. Now, wouldn't it have been better for him in that first movement to trust God, to have gone where he told him to go in the first place? See, verse 30 says, Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. It would have been so much easier if he would have listened the first time around. But how quick we are to lean on our own understandings. To lean on our own abilities. But the Bible says, man, just the opposite is what you need to do. It says don't lean on your own understandings. Why? Because we're limited. Don't lean on what you can figure out on your own. Why? 
Because what we can figure out on our own will soon fall apart because it's limited to what we have right here. But it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. See, that's what, that's what God was wanting to do in Lot's life. He's wanting to lead him to that perfect place, but for some reason or another, Lot had to travel to insignificance before he could get to the perfect place with God. God directs us oftentimes when we hesitate. We want to go our own way, thinking that we know the safest routes. Down the road, we find out that God's plan was ultimately the best way after all. I have seen so many people run from one bad situation to another. They jump out of one addiction right into another addiction. They jump out of one struggle right into another struggle. In essence, what they're doing is they're trading a Sodom for a Zoar. And each one leads to a very miserable, insignificance life. See, when God tells you where to go, don't argue. Just go where he leads. Our first warning was this, get out while you can. Number two was take God's lead, not your own direction. And look at number three tonight. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Now, you may have noticed that as we're reading through this story, it suddenly says Lot and his daughters were fleeing to Zoar. Going to the mountains. Somebody is missing. Who's missing? What happened to Lot's wife? Well, she left Sodom with them, but now she's not mentioned at all. Well, let me back up a few scriptures for you. Let me fill in a few blanks for you. After the angel took Lot's family by the hand and led them out of Sodom, he began to give them some very simple but vitally important instruction. We jumped to the location a few moments ago, but there were some instructions prior given, and I want to share those with you very quickly. Verse 17. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, look at that word, very important, ordered Run for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Run for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Did you see it? He says run for your lives and don't look back. In other words, keep your eyes on the finish line. Keep your eyes on the destination that I have set before you. Looking back had the indication of allowing sin to have a hold on your life. Lot's wife perhaps was so concerned about the location that she did not fully listen. Perhaps she was attached to the life that she had in Sodom. Perhaps the lifestyle of Sodom had begun to entice her, but for one reason or another, she chose to ignore the instruction given by the angel. She chose to look back. Remember, there's an impact to our obedience. There's an impact 
to our lack of obedience. Verse 26 says, But Lot's wife looked back, and as she followed behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Lot had already arrived safely in the village of Zoar. He had already found himself in the city of insignificance. Yet his wife was still in the travels. What took her so long? Why was she still traveling? Was she contemplating the pause? Was she contemplating the quick gaze behind her? The New Testament speaks of this in an example of the second coming. Luke 17, and Andy, if you'll come. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot's. People went about their day, daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual. Right up until the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of the roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. The idea is that the second coming of Jesus will be immediate and people will not have time to prepare for it. Lot's wife was overtaken by the disaster, the loss of her past, the separation of what had become comfortable. Therefore, she looked back. The angel clearly told them to keep focused on the destination, to run for their life. But for one reason or another, she looked back. How many races have been lost because the person in the lead looked back? Just for a moment to find out where their competition was just for a moment to see how far ahead they were. They look back and find themselves losing the race. Luke 19.61 says that. 9.61 Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You grab a hold of something tonight. You cannot plow while looking backward. Any farmers in the house? You can't plow by looking behind you. You've got the plow in your hand. You're not going to walk like this. You've got to keep focused on that path. You've got to watch what you're doing. You've got a task ahead of you. 
Likewise, you can't follow Jesus by continuously looking back, maybe looking back at Sodom, maybe looking back at Gomorrah, maybe looking back at the fertile land that once was there. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying to yourself, I want to follow God. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. But first, let me go. Maybe you've heard this saying before, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of your life, he's not Lord of any of your life. If you haven't placed him first and foremost inside of you, he has nothing connected to you. What is it that you keep looking back at? What is it which entices you and grabs your attention and causes you to lose focus of the goal in front of you, of the finish line? Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, he said, I fought the good fights. I finished the race. I fought the good fights. It wasn't easy. There were some rough times. There were some difficult moments. I had the opportunity to look back. I had the opportunity to lose my focus. But I fought the fights. I finished the race. And I kept the faith. See, it wasn't easy for Paul. There were many times in front of him that he could have thrown in the towel. He could have said, this is just not fair. He could have lost focus on the goal, but he remained faithful to the race. He remained faithful to that which God had told him to do. And I ask you tonight, are you remaining faithful to the race that God has set before you? Or are you looking back to Sodom? Oh, Sodom has some enticing things. It looked like a garden. It was beautiful. It had all that he needed to provide for his family and his livestock. Beautiful area. But in the midst of the beauty, it was filled with evil and sin. Are you keeping your eyes on the goal? Are you focused on the finish line? Or are you going to keep looking back? Maybe there's an area of your life where you're living too close too close to the city of Sodom. Maybe there's an area of your life that you've already stepped into the city limits. You've already been engulfed around the sin. Maybe you've been there for some time. Listen to the words of God. Get up and run for your life. Get up and run for your life. Now is the time to act. 
Go where God directs you to go and stop looking back. Stop looking back. Man, how often we find ourselves enticed by the beauty. Enticed by what it has to offer. What I want you to understand is this. The safest place for you to be right in the center of God's will. See, Lot tried to come up with his own solution. I don't want to go to the mountains. I'm hesitating getting out of Sodom, but I don't want to go to the mountains. Send me to the insignificant place. He gets there and finds out, wow, this isn't much better. I'm going to go to the mountains. Just think what would have happened on the very onset if Lot and his entire family had truly heeded the call of God. What ended up just being Lot and his two daughters could have been Lot and his entire family, but Lot allowed his family to be engulfed in wickedness to the point that some laughed at him when he shared the warning to the point that his wife was so connected to the lifestyle in Sodom that she looked back he almost lost it all chapter 13 there were so many of them that Abraham's family and all of his herds and everyone with him and and Lot's family and all of his herds and all with him could not be together with too many of them. Now there's just three. Do we see what happens when we lose our focus? I want to challenge you tonight. Get up and run for your life. Just like Paul, fight the good fights. Finish the race. And keep the faith. God, I pray right now for every person in this room. Lord, there are some that are living way too close to Sodom. We're living way too close to destruction, to sin. But Lord, you've given us the command tonight, get up and run. So Lord, we heed that call tonight. And we're coming back to you. God is speaking to your life I'm going to challenge you right now get up and run for your life if God is speaking to you right now I know this is going to be tough but it was hard 
for Lot and his family to leave. If God is speaking to you right now and telling you to get up and run for your life, that's what I want you to do. I want you to get up and I want you to come and stand in this front of the room. I want to pray for you. Come on, is God speaking to you? Is God speaking to you right now? You're living close to Sodom. And he's saying, now is your time. Get up and run for your life. Is that you? All across the house. Would you all stand with me?